0: From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and ageing at work and in society, my mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that we've never discussed before on this podcast. And that is the area of our body image and intuitive eating. And I think that many of us will probably relate to the fact that we have maybe not the kindest attitude towards our own bodies. And in the words of my own teacher, Vijamala Birch, many women do have some complex relationships with food. So I was delighted when I was introduced to today's guest, who I know is a real intuitive eating and body image worker and coach. And that's Dreamery. Welcome to the show.
1: I am delighted to be here and to talk about that subject. Like I said, I could talk about it for hours.
0: (laughs) I love that. I mean, let's begin at the beginning. How did you actually come into this field of intuitive eating and body image work?
1: Yeah, so I think like a lot of people who go into uh, certain areas of coaching, I really came through it through my own personal experience of having a really disordered relationship with food and my own body for decades, really, from quite fairly young age um when I was little I I was like I wasn't a very big little girl but I was quite round and uh, and I used to do ballet and I used to go to ballet camp and I was always kind of teased for the way I looked and the fact that I wasn't quite as skinny as the other little girls and I think that started a kind of drip feed of a sense of shame about my body which at the time when I was little I didn't know that's what it was really but a kind of uh, sort of feeling of there is something maybe off with the way I look and it's not received in, in a very kind way and I started internalizing that and eventually and puberty hit, my body image really hit rock bottom. I became quite a curvy woman quite quickly. Uh, that's always been my build. And again, the reactions to that were not always kind. And uh, eventually that led to me going on my first diet when I was 17. And I basically, I, I grew up in France, so I'm, I'm, I'm French. And um uh, my first diet uh, I decided would consist of salad leaves, little bits of baguette, because <laughs> you know we have that aplenty in France, and washing it all down with litres of diet coke.
0: <gasps> oh,
1: what a diet! <laughs> I know. I mean, completely. It was just. I I had no idea what I was doing. The strange thing was I actually had had an upbringing with lots of food and lots of variety and lots of things. But in terms of nutrition, in terms of calories, in terms of things like that, I didn't know anything. So I kind of randomly decided on this combination. (laughs) Then kind of something in me maybe twigged that it wasn't perhaps very sustainable. So I decided to start counting calories instead and I went on this diet of 800 calories a day,
0: which is basically nothing. No, that's barely sustainable uh, levels of basic brain function, isn't it? it exactly. I, I, I didn't know anything about it. So I thought 800
1: sounded like a number that was like, yeah, that sounds like quite a lot. You know, it's in the hundreds. So it must be Quite big, you know. So, and I, I sustained that roughly. Uh, I counted uh, calories. I weighed my food. I weighed myself daily, twice uh, in the morning, in the evening. I became completely obsessed with with food and, and calories. Started dreaming about food. Uh, just obsessively reading recipes of all the things that I was not allowing myself to have. And eventually, as those things go. Um, one Christmas period evening, I broke the diet with a baked Alaska dessert. I still remember it was 28 years ago and I still remember it. I polished off the entire thing and what ensued was years of disordered eating. So I went through bulimia, I went through compulsive overeating, binge eating, then restricting, over-exercising, under-exercising. I just couldn't get a handle on the whole food and body thing. It felt completely out of control. And at, at my worst, I really was feeling, I mean, I almost was feeling like I could not go out. I could not show my body to the world I was just drowning in shame and in 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 body bashing and just just feeling absolutely awful
0: oh my goodness and i'm I'm actually really delighted that you you mentioned things like the over exercising as well because I think that sometimes gets forgotten and it becomes a conversation only about what we eat, but women do manage. Uh, their relationships with food by doing other things like like you did there, and that's over exercising.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And there are you know I, I just listened to what, one of the podcast episodes about where you talk about movement and the importance of movement and absolutely movement is delightful. and we should engage in it in, in the most joyful way possible for us. But when the the goal becomes this kind of control over our bodies, Uh, that can quickly turn into something much, much darker. And there are are real consequences to health of of over-exercising. So so I engaged in all these disordered behaviors for, for a long time. And thank goodness, somewhere along the road, I completely by chance, although I really felt like I was led there, my steps took me to this Bookstore where I picked up a book called, um, I think in English it's called Breaking Free from Compulsive Eating. And it's by a woman called Janine Roth. And she basically described in the book uh, the principles of intuitive, intuitive eating, which were eat when you're hungry, stop when you're satisfied, eat whatever you want, reconnect with your body move in a joyful way that was kind of it
0: and that's so beautiful I mean and when you read that you just think that feels so right I mean what was your reaction when you read that book oh I when I when I picked it up I was actually deep
1: into my disordered eating phase and when and when I read that it was like (laughs) like I think a lot in cinema terms you know I'm I'm an ex-actress and I I see a lot of images it was like you know the sun bursting through the clouds and kind of an angelic choir coming in it was really like oh like a liberation to think oh maybe it doesn't have to be this way maybe I can listen to my body and actually eat when I'm hungry and not not over-worry about what it is I'm eating, just kind of going with my with my instinct and developing that. It was just a, a, an absolutely liberating moment. And for many reasons, because I still clung somewhere to the idea of I, I want to lose weight, I want to be thinner, that idea of intuitive eating, it was like a seed was planted. And I did it for a bit, but I couldn't quite shake off this thing of, to lose weight. And so I got dragged into other diets. I tried new things, you know, lots of diets in disguise out there as well. The detoxes, the this, the that, cut out this food group and that one. So I did that for still a few years, but I really credit that first seed with planting this idea. um, And I credit it for having helped me maybe not go off a much more drastic eating disorder root and eventually got to a point like a lot of us with transformation I think we reach a point where it's like right this cannot go on I cannot go on like this with this relationship with food and my body because I will I, I I will die my my mental health will get so bad I need to do something and that's when I reconnected to intuitive eating and to I discovered mindfulness practice to manage my emotions. I I kind of weaved all of that together. And what really decided me, to go back to the beginning of your question, what really decided me to go down that route professionally was when I studied to become a, a coach, a certified coach, a lot of women that I was having casual chats with mentioned as problematic areas, their relationship with food and their body regardless of their size, regardless of their age, it was a subject that kept coming up with so many women. And I thought, my God, this is like, you know, now we're very familiar with the term pandemic, but this is like the, the, the hidden, the secret pandemic that's happening all over. You know, the, the body dissatisf- dissatisfaction and the, the disordered relationship to food is really, really common, and that decided me. That was the clincher. I thought, right, this is, this is what I wanted to be working with.
0: And I think there's so much you've brought that up because I would say that, you know, working and talking to women as I do too, I see how strange women's relationships with food are too. And I yeah. have clients who come to me and saying it's all to do with my hormones. And, and, and you suddenly realize that they probably don't eat hardly anything all day. Yeah. And want to place this you know, brain fog and tiredness on menopause. And you're thinking, but you haven't eaten anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that at this time of life as well, women are having so many changes and food and restricting food because we put on weight. We do put on weight in our midlife and become heavier. Yeah. That's part of becoming older food yeah. becomes quite central to the conversation. And then, of course, people are being told to change diets and they don't know how. And yeah. There are, as you said, a lot of fad diets out of there to the point yes. that it's a saturation on social media and very confusing for women.
1: It is so confusing. And I, I think partly why we, we get so confused is we've we have disconnected so much from... Our own body. You know, we we there's kind of general outer wisdom about what can serve our bodies. You know, I think it's generally accepted eating a lot of fresh vegetables is a good thing, having a very varied diet is a good thing. But there's 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 pieces around you know food satisfaction, around having a respectful relationship to your body, around recognizing your hunger simply what you know do you know your hunger do you recognize it do you know what it feels like do you know what it's like to feel satisfied are you satisfied and you know you can set, sense in these questions and that's why i love the subject so much that there's there's so many layers there because once you start asking yourself well what do i really love what are my hungers what does satisfy me then that opens a whole new level of the conversation around your your values, what you love, your your purpose, your power, all of that stuff. So
0: it's it's a really, really interesting relationship to, to become aware of. Absolutely. And one that I think very few women are aware of, and maybe some men as well, but certainly I think very few women stop to think, uh, you know, those questions that you raised about satiety, about foods you enjoy and instead the whole conversation is, is centered around what you're going to take out of your diet. If I, I know I what I'm watching seems to be all about what you're supposed to restrict rather yes. than or that you have to have eating eating plant food. We all know, you're right, intu- intuitively we're not very connected but sort of logically we all know that eating vegetables and cutting down yes. certain foods is better but it yeah. becomes... A rational rather than an emotional argument. I don't know what you, you feel about that. And therefore, it's very hard to actually switch or have that healthy relationship or diet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that because there's also so much contradicting information out there about food, if you only engage with it on an intellectual level, it is so easy to become confused I mean, you spend one day on on Instagram looking at different diets, and you'll your head will explode. I mean, it's like there's so much contradictory information, so it's no wonder in a way that we are if if we've spent our lives waiting for outside authorities to tell us what to put on our plates. Uh, and kind of really just disconnecting from whatever our own body is is wanting to show us, um, it becomes really easily completely confusing. So I think one of the key steps really, and you'll be familiar with that, with with mindfulness, is to start simply becoming curious about your, your relationship to food around your body signals around how you interact with your body it's kind of becoming curious around your 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 habits and rather than go into uh, oh i need i've got this this goal of of losing this weight and i'll do whatever it takes and i'll give away my power to outside authorities it's more about okay hold on a second here what's going on how am i feeling physically What's going on in my hunger? Am I, am I actually feeling an emotion that I don't know how to deal with? And is that what's driving me to eat? Because it might be the case. Um, and that, that exploration is, as you can imagine, so much richer than just going, oh no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have this, I shouldn't have this. Oh, I might as well just eat the entire thing, you know. It becomes very, as soon as there's a should, a really strong should somewhere. the rebellion might not be far away and there's also a biological factor to that of you know deprivation will eventually lead to a rebellion of some kind whether it's binge eating or deciding to stop all exercise because you want to rebel you know Um, (laughs) and none of these things I think we can all agree none of these things are are really
0: healthy in the end no they're not and i and i think that there has been a long history of deprivation as you said and then mm-hmm. you know these some of these diets and i think there are maybe less of them now but there was certainly a for me who's a woman of 60 i've watched so many of these deprivation diets oh my and then at the end of the women women kind of go whoopee and go on a huge
1: do yes, celebrate. Let's celebrate. <laughs> and sometimes it happened for me. You know, that celebration in big quotes uh, did not stop for, for, for years. I did not know it was either rigid control or just complete chaos, you know. So and I think the thing to, to remember is exactly like establishing mindfulness practice in, in one's life or you know, stress management practices, these things take time. These explorations can can be challenging, and they require gentle, sustained effort.
0: They can. And as you were talking about mindfulness and eating, I was being reminded of um, going on retreat with our friend Karen, and, and we're all eating. Suddenly, there was time to eat in silence. Yes. There was time to eat slowly yeah. and time to chew our food and to enjoy it and that is not something is it is it dreamery that many women do I mean we're generally eating on the run and that's part of our our modern culture and shoveling food down in front of the tv instead of you know savoring and taking our time and that surely must play a role in in how we eat and, and our relationship with food Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So one, one of the principles, which I, as a French person, I love <laughs> intuitive eating is, um, is the notion of savoring, really savoring your food. So there's the three S's, you know, eating slowly, savoring and eating sensually really upping that satisfaction factor. The more satisfaction you can derive from a piece of food, probably the less you're going to be tempted to overeat it. If you really allow yourself to taste whatever it is you're eating, really making time for it, you know, creating that relationship and that moment with it, the more you're going to enjoy it and the more it's going to satisfy you. And I think like for me, it's in a way, it's all about going back to, to my, my French roots around food, because we know about the joy of food. You know, that movie uh, Chocolat <laughs> kind of exactly. kind of shows that, you know, oh, that moment of like, mm, really take that in. And you're right. it's It's interesting to me. And I've spoken to many friends who are into kind of spiritual retreats and that sort of thing. It's interesting. An interesting thing to see on retreats that you know people will spend a lot of time in meditation during the day, and yet have a really hard time bringing mindfulness to their food experience. And sometimes I think that's because I I, I don't know what it is. Sometimes there's the the judgments start. Cramming into heads, you know, around food and what should be eaten, what shouldn't be eaten, and that somehow derails the process of simply being present with food. Um, so, yeah, th- having an opportunity to really sit down, if preferably without distraction. Again, it's not a rule, you know. We have we have to live with modern life as well, and sometimes you won't be able to create that that food moment for yourself. But I think if that's something that you that you kind of endeavor to to create more in your life, um, that can only be a good thing. Also because it's been, there's research that, that has been done around, you know, we take in more nutrients. The more we enjoy our food, the more we take in nutrients, which I think is wonderful. <laughs> it's really it was made to be enjoyed. But, you know, it's funny what you mentioned about about the, our culture and how, you know, how we tend to eat nowadays, because I'm very well known in uh, in my day job. Uh, we have very short lunch breaks. Uh, and, you know, I, I live in the UK and uh, it's like half an hour break for lunch. And I just think I mean, my French blood rebels. <laughs> notion I mean I've always had like an
0: hour for lunch oh at
1: least Clarissa at least one hour if not two and a glass of wine and you know I mean and I'm always I'm very well known now for having these these rants around (laughs) why is everyone eating sandwiches at their desk you know like nobody is looking at what they're eating and they're not enjoying it and you know So, oh, if I could petition a lot of workplaces in the UK to have two-hour lunches and glasses of wine, oh,
0: that'd be the dream. I think (laughs) that would be wonderful. But you're right; it's the sitting at your desk, and you're not—you're not even engaged with your food, are you? When you do that, you're just staring at a screen and shoveling food in as fast as you can. Exactly. That's become the modern way to eat, as we're saying. And and. Hugely driven. I hate to say, by a sort of an American culture. and I've got a lot of American listeners, but that kind of eating in your car and eating yes. in front of your de- in front of your computer, yeah, isn't good for you in any way. And you tend to overeat, and you're of not course, sure what you've eaten, you you have no relationship to that meal. Exactly.
1: Before you know it, you know you might have been munching on crisps or something. Before you know it, the whole packet is gone. And you don't even know. You don't barely remember the experience of eating it, and you know a lot of women I've spoken to can can relate to that I kind I love working with archetypes around food, and I've got a little eating archetype quiz that people can take when they go on my website. Um, and one of these archetypes is the dilettante, and the dilettante is constantly on the go and food is just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to eat, you know, it's on the way to the bus or on the way to, they are picking the kids up or whatever. And you don't actually know what you're eating and you don't know the quantity. You don't know the quality either. So I think a big piece of intuitive eating is, is getting back to that savoring. It's like, uh, having, I don't know,
0: igniting the little
1: French person in your brain. <laughs>
0: I like that, inviting <laughs> the little French person here. But it sort of reminds me more of my grandmother as well here in Sweden and how, you know, she would have her breakfast and it was very deliberate. But then at certain times of the day, she'd also break and have coffee and, and something that she enjoyed. I mean, there weren't huge cakes or big buns or anything, but something that she enjoyed and she savoured that. And that was very much a part of the culture, which has to a large extent faded away now sadly
1: yes and I, I i absolutely love that love love that you know taking the time having a wee break and by all means if you've got a delicious muffin or something there and that's really what you 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 fancy in that moment you're a little bit hungry you want that have it and instead of you know notice if there are shoulds notice the diet tea kind of voices but try, try it on for size. See what it's like to actually really allow yourself to to have a nice muffin with your coffee and enjoy, savor, go slowly, savor each bite
0: and see. And you might be surprised that actually you might not even want to finish the whole thing. That's very true. And you end up cutting half of it and thinking, well, I'll save the other bit for another day or for a, yeah. a different yeah. meal. And, and that can feel quite fine. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things you mentioned early on was, as we were talking about this, the the word of shame came back and you talked about that particular very strong emotion. How did that play a role in the way in which you ate the shame you felt about the way you looked? I
1: think it it played a huge role. And and that's something I've seen as well, or I've heard from the, the women I have been talking to on the subject, it seems to be, not in every case, but it seems to be that there's a very high correlation between having experienced a lot of external body shaming and developing disordered eating or full-blown eating disorders. Um, and what happens with, uh, definitely for me, it's because there was this trickle effect of just subtle here and there comments about, mm, you know, you should be careful, you know, da, da, da you're a bit too big or you'll never be a ballerina. You're too, you know, you're too big to be a ballerina. Or this, These kind of comments, trickle effect makes that shame internal. So eventually you take it into yourself and you don't even sometimes know how it got there. You just feel like it's a part of you. I've had women say to me, there is no way I will ever feel good about my body. And I find that heartbreaking because it really has been so internalized that we start to believe that it's a part of us. It's part of our, you know, makeup to, to feel
0: shame around our body. And I think social media obviously has a huge role to play in that. I mean, this oh, constant contorted body images I mean all of them are photoshopped but it begins when you know women girls really are quite young and it's drip fed about that and they're very exposed from quite early on I mean seven eight years old to this kind of thing and and that must be creating a whole generation of younger women who feel very insecure about the way they look.
1: Yes, and I mean there's there's been these these studies done recently, you know, that the the levels of body dissatisfaction, especially among young women, some some men as well, they're not exempt from that, but it's it's really quite uh, uh, big for for women. Um, the levels of body dissatisfaction from in girls as young as you know six, seven, have risen dramatically over the past decade, and yeah, as you mentioned, the, the social media, um, there is, if you start becoming aware of it, you can't unsee it. It's, you know, I worked in the acting industry for, for over, for about two decades or so. And you just realize, my goodness, there's very, very few scripts written for bigger women, for different types of shapes, for different types of ages. Um, there is an underrepresentation of body types that
0: make up, you know, most of the population. So, exactly. I mean, the average size of a of a of a woman is far bigger than is ever portrayed in in model size. Absolutely. Oh my, yeah. And that
1: that gap has been increasing and increasing and increasing. And because we're literally bombarded by these images, you know, it's social media, Instagram, uh, sometimes under the guise of, you know, health as well, you know, yogi, the yogi body and all of that stuff. Uh, So it takes different forms and and shapes. Um, You watch the, the stories, the series on Netflix and everything, you know, teen series, all the girls are kind of by and large these very very thin sizes and you start wondering well where where am i like am i not worthy of of being seen because of because of the way i look because i'm a bit bigger because so especially when you're when you're quite young that can have a really dramatic effect and it's it's it has from what i've been able to um to tell from the the people i've talked to that very often is one of the main drivers in overeating or or chronic dieting, because you just feel like there is something fundamentally wrong with your body. And if you do not have rigid control over it, which you eventually rebel against, uh, then, then you you're you're doomed. You're not acceptable, you're not seen as acceptable.
0: Yes. And and I think what I see as well with more midlife women, obviously we're changing again because mm-hmm. of the hormonal change yeah. women become curvier because that's part of getting getting older we are we do yeah. put on a little bit more weight we are curvier and that becomes quite a, a challenging thing for many midlife women to accept this change yeah. and there's yeah. a lot of dislike of bodies at this stage and that plays then into the way our relationships see our own confidence in ourself. Yeah. And, and really, I think that's, that's an added factor in this whole menopause emotional side to how we feel about the way that we have a body that is possibly for some women very different from the body they had young women. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think probably the, the more you've invested in the way you look, uh, possibly that might also make things a lot harder when that body changes Um, and body image. I mean, I've become quite fascinated with body image because it's an, it's an incredibly complex concept. It actually, I found out that it actually involves nine different areas of the brain. This is how, you know, our perception of our bodies and our bodies in the world is very complex and so it's no wonder that we would kind of grapple with body changes because it not only affects us, it, it, it also reflects like, oh, how am I seen by the world now? There's that kind of in- interface as well. Um, so it's a it's a fascinating subject to, to delve in. And I think, yeah, around hormonal changes as well, there's just something around accepting a kind of natural flow of, of life, you know, life will change our bodies either through illness or through age or through, through these big changes. And it's, it's about, well, how do I still show my body respect through these changes Like, do I suddenly stop respecting someone else because they've grown older? Uh, Do I, you know, do I suddenly like start treating, I don't know, my friend differently because she's, she's, her shape has changed a bit. It's kind of learning to develop a, a, basically a healthy internal relationship with our own body and realizing, does this change mean that I suddenly
0: get to disrespect myself? Yeah, is that, that is that's a really good question, and I, and I hope we don't. But it's interesting that in in reality, many women do start to have those kinds of negative and non compassionate conversations with their own themselves in their own heads yeah. about their bodies, which then yeah. of course flow into the way they eat. And more. I mean, we're talking about eating here, but women do other things like doing their hair and having all sorts of tweakments to stay young. And there's a whole industry that's fueling that insecurity.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's what we kind of call the the diet culture, uh, which is all all around us. Really, this kind of belief that the thinner you are, the better. Uh, it kind of assigns a moral virtue to being uh, to being slim and so and also to being young. So when there's a combination of you know we, we're we're getting older and then also the the bodies change then my God, what does that mean for diet culture we're doubly invisible um, mm-hmm. is that is that what it means? Mm-hmm. So there's you know we, we we are grappling with very real, pressures all around. So I think it's it's one of the first steps with uh, developing a kind of body compassion is really to acknowledge that, oh yeah, you know what, this is tough. This is tough. And there's a reason why it's tough. You know, we, yes. we are under an incredible amount of pressure. Some, some women I've talked to talk about brainwash you know, this, this brainwash about having to look a certain way no matter what life event you've gone through. You know, exactly, you get, exactly you get pregnant, you're supposed to go back to your pre-baby weight and all of that as if nothing happened, you know.
0: And it's not possible. I mean, these things no. aren't actually biologically possible. No. But you're right. And, and I think that, that how we value people, so if we're young and we're thin then somehow we, we're, and that's correlation sometimes to people getting better chances in job employment. I mean, it's become yes. distorted, which really concerns me and is probably one of the f- additional factors that women are facing in midlife, in work. Not only are they, they don't fit the image anymore, so they get passed over.
1: Yeah. Or oh, there is very real uh, discriminations going on that are still not... Really talked about that much, um, you know. We're, we're I think, we're, we will become much more familiar with things like uh, race discrimination, and we all rightly kind of cry out against it. But around size, around age, that's still not really widely discussed, and yet it has been shown that pe- people, especially women, in larger bodies. Uh, and women above a certain age, you know, have less chances of, of landing particular jobs or, and that, you know, that's, a, those are very real things. So it's, it's really no wonder that it, it triggers so much for us when we sometimes only when we feel like we've put on a few pounds and it becomes
0: this big, big thing of like, oh, you know, there's real anxiety around that. Yeah, a, um, real anxiety. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's only a couple of kilos, which in in reality is part of almost our natural fluctuation through our monthly cycle or, yes. or possibly even seasonally. I mean, it's normal for the body to put a bit of padding on in winter because that's yeah. what our body would do, isn't it? Dreamo?
1: Exactly. Absolutely. So what, you know, what's an, a kind of natural process becomes something to be feared uh, and to, to resist again and against and to try and control. Um So I think an important step is to, is to recognize that, yeah, you know, this is not, it could be interpreted as a, as a shallow concern, you know, this kind of dismissal of like, oh, I shouldn't worry about, it's just a few pounds, you know, what's wrong with me? So we start beating ourselves up for feeling bad in the first place, (laughs) which is a kind of the the shame cycle never ends then. Um, But just that first step of going, hey, women are under a lot of pressure with that with that stuff so just to give to learn to give oneself a bit of compassion and recognition that it's not easy and body image does fluctuate you know that one another point i want to make is is that there's sometimes this idea that you know someone could could somehow wave a magic wand and suddenly your body image will be completely fixed and you will feel fantastic and you know and that'll be it <laughs> you'll be sorted um and it it's not like that body image fluctuates um you know anything can can trigger something that will make you feel a bit uncomfortable whether it's looking at old pictures Going to a family reunion and maybe someone there is, you know, commented on your weight in the past or something. Like, there's so many triggers that could kind of push you into this critical dialogue about your about your own body. But when you become aware of that, aware of what can trigger you, aware of where you usually go with that, you know, do you beat yourself up about it? Do you act on it by, you know, going on another diet? Or can you just kind of be with, okay, this being human stuff, uh, you know, a human woman in a, in a woman's body of a certain age or a certain size is not easy. And how can we still show up for ourselves in a kind and compassionate way when that happens? That's, exactly. that's really the question.
0: I mean, if I was to ask you, if someone was to take some first steps towards healing their relationship with food and their body where would they begin dre so for me with food the first step
1: would be as an intuitive eating coach that is really the first step with all my clients is can you put the idea of weight loss on the back burner for a bit and actually turn with curiosity to what is happening right now in your relationship with food. To just kind of see what, okay, what habits do I have? What's going on? Can I just ask myself that as I would ask this of, my, of a really good friend? Hey, tell me what's going on with your relationship with food. And put the idea of transforming your body, of losing weight on the back burner while you do that exploration and see see if that yields some insight i think that's a really important first step awareness basically you know turning your your focus to raising the awareness of what is what has it been and what is it now my relationship with food
0: yes, and i love i love that and it's always nearly always comes back doesn't it to self awareness
1: yeah oh absolutely and that you know the 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 heart of the mindful attitude, which is gentle curiosity towards our experience, non judgmental attitude. You know, what, what is it? What has it been for me to have a body in this life so far? What's, what's that been like? And what, what is it like now? And to get really curious about, about that relationship. And this is a really, it's going to sound really, simple but for me that was there was a, a quite an important shift around that mm-hmm. is when I started relating to my body as a her and not as an it ah,
0: so as a she yes. and not an it like
1: living, so when
0: I talk like a living like it was a living thing rather than yes separate entity from ourselves
1: exactly it you know she she is a she and what relationship do I want to cultivate with, with with her? What does she need? You know, if she was a, a, a toddler in my care, how would I treat her? And you can, you know, I sometimes even invoke the image of like my, my adorable wee nieces, you know, and just think, well, would I tell her to go to the gym five hours a day because she can't put, no, like... I would try and find out, well, how can I support her? How can I love her? How can I show her respect, regardless of what she looks like on a particular day or in a particular phase of life? You know, you don't have to be madly in love with with someone to treat them with respect. And it's the same with your body. You don't have to be madly in love with her to show her kindness and respect and try and find out what really supports her.
0: That is so beautiful, and and I think the other thing you mentioned throughout this conversation is also that this is not a quick process. No, no,
1: it's not. It's not
0: just like any relationships. I think
1: you know. I was I was listening to an episode of the podcast with um, I think it was Deb Morgan who was talking about relationships. It was a fascinating uh, interview, and she was saying, you know, it takes time changing a relationship with your partner if you've gotten into habits of being together it takes time if you start viewing your your food uh, and body habits as as relationships then it would completely make sense that if you if you have habitual patterns around it that have been there for years it's going to take some time and it's going to take gentle consistent effort you know to to transform those relationships but it is so worth it <laughs> for so many reasons. You know, I wish that women could just suddenly realize how much energy will be liberated in their lives once they stop obsessing over their weight and over their bodies and how much they hate them. You know. Yes.
0: yes. Just think of how much space and time. I mean, uh, yeah. And I can think. And as you're speaking, I can think of people I've worked with. Who have counted calories? Who have had the most elaborate eating with lunches? Oh, lunch yeah. laid out in ways that I I'm st- I'm very kind of very slapdash probably. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, I, to be honest, I and I'll say this: I was incredibly thin, so I had the opposite that people were telling me I was too thin. Yeah. That's not a problem in this world to be too thin, but no. No, but but I saw lots of other people, and certainly I've worked with several women who had significant eating disorders. That they, although it looked like it was gone, it was actually still there in other forms, yeah. in very elaborate meal preparation, in uh, food groups they didn't eat, yes, exercising for an hour intensely at lunchtime, and then again at the end of the day. I and mean, yes. were freed from that obsession as you said my goodness we'd free up hours to do something far more enjoyable can you just imagine
1: i mean the the power that would be liberated if suddenly all the women in the world woke up and decided they were okay with their bodies <laughs> they were <laughs> they were fine yeah food it's great it's enjoyable and then when i'm not hungry i i Go do something else. And I don't really think about it that much. <laughs> like, I mean, there'd be so much power liberated. And that's, you know, that's partly why I, well, not partly, that's mostly why I, I went into this work, because I, I really feel like it's it's a very important piece of the whole women's empowerment puzzle.
0: It is. I'm so delighted that you've been on the show. I've loved talking to you. Yes, so, likewise. Such a great depth of knowledge and and it's just we've scratched the surface how can people connect with you and start working with you find out more about your your work and your passion here
1: yes so I have actually put together a special little curated page for the listeners of uh, thriving through menopause so if you go to the bodyjoyacademy.com the bodyjoyacademy.com forward slash TTM podcast, you will actually get to a dedicated page where you have a link to um, an article I wrote, which is basically a body image toolkit. So you'll have a lot of different ways in which you can start to explore your relationship with your body and start to, to learn more about body image. You will have a link as well. Uh, I mentioned a bit earlier, I have a quiz about eating archetypes, uh, which is, it's quite fun to take. It takes two minutes. It's also uh, a sign up for my newsletter. So that's your little gift. Um, and that can really yield interesting insights if you don't really know where to start with your relationship with food. And then there's also a link there to, uh, if you decide you would like to work with me in a kind of more structured program, there's a link there to do that as well. So it's the bodyjoyacademy.com. Forward slash TTM podcast. And then of course, contact me.
0: Um, I'm at dreamery at the I love hearing from people. I love that. Thank you so much. And we're going to put that in the show notes for all the listeners so that they can connect with you. Fantastic I'm going to do the quiz. I'm just curious. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll I'll yeah, love to know how you get on with it. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions Why do I feel this way? Thriving through menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions, and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, Clarissa at ClarissaChristiansen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who is, feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources And you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.
1: Rollercoaster prices, supply chain glitches, political unease. They do their best to wreck my business plans. With so many unknowns, how do I know I'm making the right decisions? Aon helps me stay on top of things. They have expert points of view on volatility from around the world, paired with local insight that helps me get back on solid ground. Better decisions. Aon. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Get any sized iced coffee for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. and sweeten the deal when you pair it with a baked apple or pumpkin and creme pie. After all, why wait to treat yourself? Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.